0: Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier, I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today we're going to walk you through the latest edition of our premium wine club. Uh, Today we have uh, our our first visitors from from Europe, uh, I suppose, on the podcast, who just happened to be in town for like six hours, and so we've uh, convinced them to come to my apartment to uh, record a little podcast. So yeah, maybe you can introduce yourselves and let us know what you do.
1: Yeah. Super happy to be here. Hi, my name is Kirtania von Matt. Um, I am a Canadian citizen. I've been living in Europe for the past almost 15 years. So between Germany, the UK, uh, and now Switzerland for almost 10 years. And I'm in the restaurant industry. I own a couple of restaurants together with my husband and his brother. So it's a family business. Uh, We have four in Zurich, plus a food truck in Zurich. One in uh, Zug, a neighboring city, and then one in Basel. And we're planning to ramp up our company. Yeah. Nice.
0: So many good things. Uh, okay. Before, before I start asking you a million questions, because I have a million questions, we'll maybe dive into the first wine <laughs> that I just poured into your glass here. Um, we'll talk a little bit about about this wine together, and then we'll kind of go uh, you know, off script and, and, and figure it out. Uh, so you were saying earlier that you've never tried any wines from Strekov before. Uh, Strekov, this winery, is in Slovakia. Um, most of the wineries that are sort of being exported in Slovakia uh, are kind of around Bra- uh, Bratislava. Um, so kind of on the Western side, uh, it's basically all technically included in the region of Burgenland in, if you look at Austria. So essentially at the end of uh, World War II uh, and actually even earlier than that, there was sort of this decision that all these regions had to make and it was is which country do you want to be part of because you're kind of on this political border. And so the area of Chopron decided to be with Hungary, the area of Burgenland decided to be with, uh, with Austria and the area of Bratislava decided to be uh, with Slovakia. And, uh, and so this was all kind of one conti- continuous region, and so it had a very strong tradition of making wine uh, versus the area further to the east, which is where this is coming from, was sort of a little lesser known. Um, they share a lot of similarities with Hungary, uh, and in fact uh, Zolt who makes this wine is, is actually Hungarian. Uh, you know, traditionally speaking, I suppose. Um, And so there's all this crossover, but people are a little less familiar with these wines. Again, if you're visiting Slovakia, chances are you're going to to the capital, you're going to Bratislava. Uh, You're not venturing inland. Um, This area is particularly interesting for uh, both white and red grapes, I would argue. Uh, and in your glass, the first wine that we have, which we literally only received enough of this wine to go into the wine club, uh, is Heon. Uh This wine is made from Velsch Riesling, fermented on skins for two weeks. Um, so an orange wine, in, in you know all senses of the word, especially in color, it is very orange. Uh, and uh, it is also aged under floor. So he puts it into a barrel, doesn't fill the barrels entirely to the top, so allows a small amount of oxidation, but also allows this uh, thin layer of yeast to form that ends up feeding on the wine, uh, and creating a lot of flavors, the biggest of which are, are aldehydes, um, which can create a lot of sort of savory, umami characteristics, uh, often reminiscent of, of chamomile and nuts, uh, sometimes some like rubbery characteristics, depending on who you're talking to, sometimes a smoky, flinty quality. Um, but anyways, this is, you know, potentially considered uh, uh, top, uh top wine, especially uh, for, the, for the orange wine side of things. We've never gotten an allocation before, uh, so it's super cool that we actually get to have it uh, in Alberta. Uh, yeah, I suppose you've had a chance to uh, maybe sip and smell it, and it is quite a wild roller coaster, so maybe you want to give us your uh, your first impressions.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like, what surprised me the most is especially the umami, mm-hmm. because I was really expecting this to be a lot more, hard, like, strong mineralic side, but I feel like having an asparagus soup, this is Mm -hmm. really the direction that it's pulling me into and it makes me want to eat. So totally. Good wine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Quite a bit of tannin here, like very structured wine. Um, You know, from a physical perspective, it it actually reminds me a lot of like some Italian reds in the sense that it's got the high acidity. It's got some of the VA, the volatile acidity that kind of precocious quality. Um, And then quite a bit of grip to it. Uh, You know, the tannins are there they kind of make your mouth water a little bit, um, in this really positive way. Uh, alcohol is not crazy on this 12 and a half yet. It feels full bodied. It's like, a it's one of those sneaky ones that, uh, you know, it, it outdoes itself from an, from, you know, an alcohol to body ratio. Um, yeah, I don't know. I dig it. I like it's, the asparagus
1: soup call. Yeah, call. yeah. But it's cool that you have this in the club now mm-hmm. this is really like, you know, it's such a different profile. Totally. But it, it has its place, and it really yeah. like if anything, this makes me want to take something like a really st- a, a great appy, and you can pull it through to your main. Like it's yeah. that kind of a drink that absolutely that has a lot of character.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, almost like a physical presence. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, so before we get too far off topic, let's dive a little more into what you do and how you ended up doing it. So maybe give us an intro on like how you got into restaurants, and then. Uh, whether early on you, you knew that you wanted to do something for yourself and, and develop your own concepts, or whether that, so how did that come about essentially? Mm-hmm. So that's my question.
2: <laughs> Can I be the a uh, voice out of the off? Or? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm word. Thomas, I'm Catania's husband, just for the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was. Um, it was our goal for a long time to to uh, to be self-employed and to open our own business but i think the main one of the main inspirations was actually uh canada especially Uh, vancouver because um, you know in in zurich and switzerland like it was usually like either you could have really good food but then it would be stiff kind of the environment or um the food would kind of be like a lot, of, a lower quality. And what we wanted to do is to bring this, like, you have food on a very high quality and very good level, but with a with a relaxed, cool, um, you know, atmosphere. And and I think that vibe is uh, what has made us special and what is one of our um, one of our strengths. Um, and was the goal behind behind all this too. Exactly. Kind of have no barriers for for good food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like a bit of backstory, we both come from gastro. So um, my first nibble into it was when I was fifteen. I worked at McDonald's. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I even have a. Fry Basket branding on my right arm to prove that I worked there. Oh my God. I um, think they make all their employees get that, though, right? So. To That's join the, the cult. She That's the tattoo, and then she left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She wanted to get this. Two days working out, you know, and then yeah, I know I was working at a, a lot of different restaurants and bars in Vancouver when I was living there. Um, gave me my first kind of exposure to how how extremely wide the industry is, and. Mm-hmm. How you can really build a career within it if it's your passion. Um I went to go and study in Germany, so I some, some little bird told me you can study for free in Germany as a Canadian citizen. So Is this I, a thing? That's a thing. Okay. So
0: <laughs> That's gonna be great news to a lot of the listeners, I think. It, it yeah. was, I mean especially at a time
1: <laughs> where like, you know, semester fees are hiking and school book yeah. fees are hiking. It's it was a decision where I was. I had started studying in Vancouver at SFU, and then I decided this is a really tough game to do because you need working two jobs as well on the side to pay for college it was heavy. So I quit. Um, Thomas and I moved to Berlin together, and then I learned German, started studying, um, but always working in restaurants and bars during during university as well. Um, yeah. So how that brought us to Switzerland. So. We, in basically 2010, um, we were on holidays in, uh, in Tuscany. Like this was again, like with our, our school book funding, we were able Mm -hmm. to, by not paying for school, a little (laughs) bit more money to go on a little vacation. So we'd taken a couple days off, um, met some friends there and we did this, we rented this really, really tiny boat and we were going along the coast and we saw this cool beach bar. And we stopped at the beach bar, and it was really in the middle of nowhere, not a lot of traffic. Uh, The owner turned out to be Swiss, so where Thomas is from. And the guy's like, hey, I am totally going through burnout. I need somebody to run this bar. So we're like, hey, um, maybe we'll take it over for a summer. So... The following year, um, we took it over for basically five months, and that gave us our first chance of wow. working forgot about that. together, <laughs> <laughs> Together, but we, we were the only people who were at the beach, but never at the beach. Yes, yeah, absolutely. We're we were completely
2: untended. Yeah. 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 Wow
0: that's wild that's super cool we actually have a couple of friends who are, are going through like a very similar thing right now um where you know worked in the restaurant industry in Edmonton for a really long period of time and then kind of got this weird opportunity to run a restaurant at a marina in BC uh and so same sort of thing they're just like hey you seem to know what you're talking about do you want to just run this restaurant like here you go you can do literally anything with it so yeah uh yeah, that's a that's a super crazy origin story. That's amazing, though.
1: I mean, we kind of, especially when you're when you're trying to figure things out in life, I think you're a bit more courageous as well because you know Absolutely. you need to take the risk. And you know, I I came from pretty humble beginnings, so it's always like if you're able to make it, do your best to to you know look forward and not to think of yeah the risk factor totally. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the first time we worked together. It was a lot of fun and like. Crazy time. Yeah. Um, but that became the goal is that after we were both finished with university and with Thomas's brother as well, um, we graduated all basically within a year of each other. Yeah. Uh, and then the step was to open the first restaurant in Zurich.
0: Cool. So, yeah, right out of university, that was the, the goal. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, we're going right into this for ourselves. Yeah. Super cool.
1: It was also
2: a bit idealistic because we thought we could, uh, we, we were the ones who were destined to save Tuscany. <laughs> you know, because the Tuscan, co- like, obviously the inland is doing very well with all the, yeah. the wine, but the, the, the coastal area yeah. uh, was a bit neglected, especially not so much investments happening and, like, more and more young people going somewhere else, people going to, like, Thailand or whatever, and, and that's cool, but uh, we were like, well, there's so much very nice stuff so close mm-hmm. to home. Why aren't people exploring that more? And we were like, well, we're going to change everything.
0: We're yeah.
2: gonna change the coast. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So, which was cool. So we, I don't know if we did. <laughs> I, I, no, we don't. Oh, uh, yeah.
2: We we, we also did. fair for many reasons, which yeah. would be another podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so once you ended up opening a swat uh, in Zurich, uh, the idea was Americana, uh, bringing sort of American flavors uh, to a place that historically was you know, mostly void of those flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, a, like, where did the inspiration for that come from? Like, was that food that you had a particular connection to or, like, more of a hole you saw in the market? And then B, like, what was the reception off the bat? And then how did you go about uh, sort of building a customer base and, and that was interested in those sort of flavors?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it's to your point with the gap in the market, because at that time we were living in Berlin and burgers – so gourmet burgers, let's call it, like, had just started to take off. Mm. And that was something that didn't exist yet in Switzerland. So we really saw this as the opportune time. Um, keeping in mind, Zurich is about three to five years behind Berlin. So whatever's happening there or whatever's happening in London... yeah we're not there yet so it's it's also like you're able to do a bit more market research in bigger cities and then find out where the pickup happens and the access to it so we did a lot of research about how how do you just make a great burger and it really comes down to simple but high quality ingredients um we spent some time doing that and then researching in different cities uh we pooled together every last dime that we had and it wasn't a hell of a lot of startup capital but what we basically did um writing a business plan, and maybe you want to talk about that whole part of it, Thomas.
2: Well, uh, yeah, we were able to get a microloan, mm. which uh, was, was awesome. Uh, and at that time, like, uh, kind of very, very fresh in Zurich. Um, so that, that was very cool. Uh, and the other thing was uh, my, yeah, my best friend was a carpenter, so or is a carpenter, and we were like, well, if you help us out here... Uh, you'll have free burgers and beer for the rest of your <laughs> you'll life. Have
0: a very large bar tab. Yeah, yes, for sure. Uh, yeah.
2: and, and he still does have that actually, yeah, and absolutely. he still uses it a lot. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, this was the kind of like bootstrapping thing, and he, he was a, he was a very great help, and we just uh, kind of did everything ourselves, um, and we had a landlord who. Uh, luckily, we were in the red light district, but who understood that change uh, was coming and uh, believed in us and didn't just want to have another, uh, you know, kind of concept in there that was going to change three years yeah, later. Short term. And yeah, so termite. it's like, okay, I'll believe in you guys and I'll lower the rent for the time you're, you're building. Hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of lucky things kind of aligned, although I have to say, We walked for, we we knew exactly where we wanted to open, because we lived in Berlin, so we saw how, like, uh, Kreuzberg changed, Mm -hmm. and we were sure that this was going to happen, the exact same thing was going to happen to the neighborhood we were looking for in Zurich, so we're just walking around every day, knocking on every door, asking, like, uh, do you want to give up your restaurant? If yes, call me, you know, so people threw (laughs) stuff at us, Uh, you know, we're pretty unhappy about it, but, uh, you know, it ended up working
1: and that yeah. location now, it's in the middle of the red light district of Zurich, so mm-hmm. that hasn't changed. That's still the same. Yeah. Um, there's purple light in some of the windows and Perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's part of the charm of the location. It's like it's very loud, lively, it's a social place. Yeah. And that kind of concept didn't really exist before in Zurich. And I think that's one totally. of the reasons it took off with our group. Mm-hmm. That's that's the let's call it the red line that runs through all of our concepts. Yeah. They're vibrant.
0: Totally. I think uh, one of the things you know I'm going to assume a lot of our listenership uh, has not been to Zurich but like my understanding of the food culture there uh, from like a a going out and dining experience is on the upper end of like you know kind of you know gastronomic kind of food concepts a lot of uh, you know lots of what we call tweezer food, uh, where it's like, you know, you're putting on the garnish with a little tweezer every single time. All well, the food's very uh, sort of beautiful and maybe delicious, but also quite austere. Um, and so that that's sort of like my understanding of where the food culture was for a long period of time. Obviously, that's not like the food culture of the actual people who live there. Uh, obviously, it's like everywhere else in the world where there's this like strong um sort of food culture for like you know the working class and that sort of thing uh so you know sort of introducing this concept of like hey we're gonna have really uh, inviting spaces uh we're going to you know have this really like again at the time like a, a very exciting combination of like really high quality food um but a really sort of open atmosphere Um, was it did people catch on really quick for that or was it something that you had to be like you had to convince them to enjoy themselves essentially
1: Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah. I mean you nailed it like tweezer food is exactly where Switzerland or like where Zurich was let's say 10 years ago when we started Um, there was the very fast food concepts but then the very going into into Gomeo points and Michelin star dining. Mm -hmm. Um, But that that middle segment where the majority of your population lies that didn't really exist. And what we really took as inspiration to be super real is Canada. (laughs) I mean, I come from a (laughs) Canadian like F&B background. I've Mm -hmm. worked at know. From, from sports bars to very, let's call it more fine dining spaces. And the one thing that was always, I guess, connected to me was how warm, inviting and social your team is that you're going to dine with. So like whether it's your front of house team or your back of house team. And I think that philosophy really became an integral part of what we do. Um, What we have created, I guess, in Zurich is a space for that middle segment where you can have an easy time, kind of shoot the shit. And that didn't really happen before. So people were not only, you know, kind of wowed by the fact that this was a a one off, or like the first time that it was really clear that people can do it. Um, But yeah, I think they they took to it very quickly because you have that approachability.
0: Uh, I know we talked about it earlier at, at lunch uh, you know for those of you at home we, we didn't want to go into this dry so we had, we had to go for lunch first <laughs> we had to you know crush a couple bottles uh, you know we've been internet friends for you know a period of time but this is our first opportunity to actually hang out in real life so you, you kind of gave us uh, over lunch a rundown of the different concepts that you have do you want to maybe walk everybody through that uh, and, and sort of let, let us know you know the different restaurants so that they can get
1: excited about you know where we're supposed to go sure Go for it. Um, So we have a burger restaurant. It's called The Bite. Uh, this is a single standing little baby, and that's in the middle of the Red Light District in Zurich. Um, super lively, seven days a week. We just launched Sunday brunch. It's a boozy brunch. It's basically you go to your electro party until 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning and then come straight for brunch. Nice. So that's... <laughs> The vibe. There's also kid-friendly chairs so that you can (laughs) welcome the families at the same time. But somehow that dichotomy, it works and people are into it. Um, Spirit sales are great because of it as well. Mm. Um, The second place we have, it's a southern barbecue restaurant. It's called Brisket. Uh, So this is a Texan-inspired barbecue house. Um, It was the second in mainland Europe when we started. The first was in Paris. And ours is, uh, yeah, it's... It's very much like if you were in Texas and you got an authentic piece of barbecue, but we've brought it to a bit of a modern stance, let's say. You're going to listen to old-school hip-hop. It's low lighting. It's good beats. It's um, really great cocktails as well. The wine menu is a lot of fun to dabble into. I think one of the best points about uh, brisket is the service crew. Um, We've had team members who've been with us for about... Six, seven years. So they've really been able to to create this whole environment where it's a family. Mm -hmm. Um, The seating as well is pretty cool about this location. It's a a 300-seater, and it's in downtown Zurich. Yeah. It's It's a a beast. (laughs) It's a beast. It's a beast. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we just brought in a second smoker because this concept we uh, expanded to a new city in Switzerland called Zug. Um, the second smoker was produced in Dallas and imported, and we actually just received it about a week and a half ago. Sweet. So now we're officially serving brisket plus friends to other cities in, in Switzerland. Cool. Um, the third concept that we have is a southern fried chicken restaurant. It's called Yardbird, and this is one that prov- proved to be very resilient during the pandemic, um, especially because we had launched delivery with it, and... That was something where I think Swiss were not as keen to, to order over delivery because the, the options were just so minimal. The quality was really, it was it was known the quality for delivery was quite low. Um, but the pandemic, I guess one of the benefits out of it is it gave us the opportunity and a lot of other restaurateurs to launch their product and see how it performs. And thankfully I was able was able to to work out quite well. So this is a brand that we've decided that we really want to expose in switzerland so right now it's a uh it's two locations it's one in zurich and one in basel that's just on the french and german border um yeah and we're planning to open more with that chicken concept
0: we're waiting for that calgary location to open right (laughs) we can't wait you
1: you do the wines we do the we do the chicken i think it'd be extraordinarily successful i think so too that would be (laughs) great Especially totally. bubbles. Our our yeah.
2: favorite restaurant ever. It doesn't exist anymore. It was called Birds and Bubbles in New York.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
2: That yeah. was like, yeah, that was a great experience. Yeah. Sorry. It like,
0: um, uh, what's the other one? The one in Adelaide. Why can't I think of the name? Oh. Of it? Yeah. Uh, gosh, uh, Bell's. Bells. Uh, yeah, Bell's hot chicken. Uh, absolute classic, and they're they're all about bubbles. Like I think. Uh, BK, one of the wineries that we import from Adelaide, I'm pretty sure 50% of their production of Petnat goes to Bell's uh, just to go with fried chicken. They're like, That's yeah, awesome. we need that much of it. Like, it's like a one bottle per person kind of kind of situation.
1: Yeah. It's perfect. Like There's that. nothing better let's than... Let's go than to Adelaide. Yeah. 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 We're right going now. With, let's pack up. Yeah, yeah. I'm super into it. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing better than like fried chicken and bubbles. I feel like when we oh,
2: get yeah. to the second bottle, they'll actually just go...
0: Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one more glass of wine, I'm pretty much ready to do anything. Right. This morning, so, no. Uh, and
1: the the last place we have is a taco place. It's called La Brea. Um, it's for it's named after La Brea Avenue in, in Los Angeles. Mm. It's a place where or a street where there's a lot of really cool fusion restaurants that are happening. There's pockets of Koreatown and uh, Chinatown and India town. Mm-hmm. I mean, we took that as inspiration and created a taco menu that's yeah. a bit more international, but totally. using super authentic Mexican ingredients. Mm. Yeah. And that has proved to be really fun to work with natural wines. Yeah. Um, I think people are much more open today to having tacos and going a bit funky with the yeah. wine selection. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So that's been cool. And that's a menu that we, for the wines, I think we change it up every season mm-hmm. and people are excited to just explore. Totally. So we have a really, really good partner that we work with in, in Zurich who... We've been working with for a lot of years and they've helped us kind of through that journey and yeah
0: super cool uh okay so we're going to take a, a brief intermission to taste the next wine, uh and then i have at least a million more questions i feel um so next up we're going to taste uh frankovka uh so same producer um again in our over the course of the last year uh i guess it hasn't been a year yet but the last six months the goal has been to do way more side-by-side tastings in the wine club, um, at least in the premium wine club. In the regular wine club, we, we still kind of just have like three very different wines. But um, now we're trying to focus on these comparative tastings where it's like trying to show up terroir or grape variety or production method or whatever it happens to be. And in this case, we want to uh, include um, two wines from the same producer um, that, you know, illustrates sort of the typicity of Slovakia or like this particular area of Slovakia um and sort of the it's kind of similar to Bergenland in the sense that I would describe Bergenland as being very like a modest wine region it's not a region of extremes it doesn't get extremely hot it doesn't get extremely cold it's not extremely windy it's not extremely rainy they don't get too much hail they don't get too much frost it's just like a very moderate region And uh, Slovakia is the same sort of way. And so the wines tend to fall around this like medium alcohol level, medium body, medium acid, medium, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Maybe not medium acid. And that's maybe more a stylistic decision to make fresher styles of wine. Um, But I want to show two wines in the same vintage 2019, which was kind of a wacky vintage for a lot of producers in Europe. Um, It was a hot vintage, but at the same time, maybe not quite as um, fruity as either... uh, 18 or 20, the surrounding vintages. Um, I find that the wines from 19 uh, from lesser producers are quite disjointed. Uh, Again, for no apparent reason. It's just one of those things where something happened that year that just made the grapes, you know, not quite right. So uh, 19s from the best producers are astonishingly good. And from anybody else, they're quite mediocre as a general statement. Um, So to taste two really wicked 19s side by side uh, from a producer from Slovakia, from, again, grapes grown within a couple hundred meters of one another, essentially, uh, is a cool opportunity to, to taste things. Uh, again, same sort of situation here where uh, we got 30 bottles of this for Alberta, uh, essentially 30 bottles of it for Western Canada because we're the only people in Western Canada that get any of it. Same thing with the Heian. Uh So essentially just enough for the Premium One Club as well as, uh, you know, six bottles for the shelf uh, so not a lot to go around. Um, this is made again from Frankovka, which is the same grape variety as Blaufränkisch, which is the same grape variety as Kekfrankos, which is the same grape variety as Lemberger. It's all the same grape variety, um, but each country decided to have a different name for it. Um, but yeah, I I adore Blaufränkisch in all of its glory. So, what do you think? Thoughts, feelings, opinions?
1: Yeah, that acidity is just so, it's so spectacular. Like, I think if it was any less, for me, it would be a little bit too flat. Mm -hmm. This brings so much life to it. And there's this hint of tobacco that I find is just so, it's such a great structure Mm -hmm. that's created.
0: Totally. Totally. I think there's like similarities in the umami content on these two wines too. These are both wines that have that really savory edge to them um, where the core is like definitely fruit, but then sort of on the peripheries, you have all these sort of, you know, sage qualities, that tobacco note that you're talking about for sure. Um, you know, things like soy, things like, uh, yeah, I don't know, things kind of in that, that vein, uh, you know, it kind of drives me those directions, which is really quite pleasant.
1: It's sure. incredible that you were able to get a, 30 bottles reserved <laughs> yeah. for you that's really totally. impressive <laughs> yeah we feel very
0: lucky so to, to you know one of the other reasons why we put this in the wine club is that last year we did not get an allocation of any of their wines so we, we literally went an entire year without an allocation from Strykov Uh, We asked a million times, and they're just like, we just don't have any wine for you. Like, our vintages have been very small. There's very high demand for our wine. So we literally went, like, essentially the last 18 months without a single bottle of wine from Strakow in the province, uh, which is, like, very hard. Uh, You know, consumers forget that it exists and all these sort of things. And so the fanfare for the, the arrival of the new vintage has been very large. And so we wanted to set aside some bottles just for the premium club, just so that you know they get a little treat um but yeah for me it's like we visited them in 2019 so like in this vintage uh we saw these grapes which is super cool which is right before you know covid essentially and so we have not been back since but this is kind of like coming full circle of like this was the last time we were there uh and now we get to drink the wines which is again it's very weird it's the, the reason i like wine is those connections uh so, yeah, super, super fun to get to try them.
1: It's true. And it just makes you want to, like, have a, like, starting with a summer barbecue. Um, yeah. And this is the... This is a good brisket wine. i not going to lie. Yeah, Pretty yeah,
0: good brisket totally, wine. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Crazy nose. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's got a lot of, like,
0: really, really interesting oxidative characteristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. kind of, like...
2: Did not expect
0: that. Yeah, yeah. It's like interesting because it's got that really weird combination of super dark fruit, but then the freshness and the, yeah, those, those sort of oxidated notes. I'm curious to see how this opens up. We literally just cracked this bottle right now. For those of you at home who didn't witness uh, the prep that went into this amazingly well produced podcast, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're missing out on it currently. Uh, but we literally just opened this wine. So I think over the next uh, little bit here, it's, it's really going to evolve, which is going to be super cool.
2: Just have to pour a new glass every.
0: Yeah. We gotta know. We gotta know. Um, cool. Okay. So, digressing. Back to uh, back to your world here. Um, you mentioned a little bit about wine lists. Uh, what is wine drinking culture like at the moment? Uh, you know, in the three cities you work in. Um, is there a wine drinking culture? Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about at lunch about the fact that you know ninety eight percent of the local production is consumed locally. Is that exclusively what people are drinking or Uh, Are people drinking that plus like a bunch of international stuff? um, Or is it like here where like wine culture is very much a new concept? Um, Yeah, it's a lot of questions in one question, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, to answer your question about the market itself and like the characteristics of how people drink. So there's basically five key regions where people are drinking wine from. In order, it's uh, Italy first, then France, um, then Spain, Germany... And then you've got Austria. Switzerland comes in as well. It's uh, a type of production that is super special. So 15,000 hectares are produced with wine. Um, There's 26 different provinces, which they call cantons in Mm -hmm. Switzerland. All 26 cantons produce wine, obviously some more than others because some are much bigger. Yeah, and there's 62 AOCs, so it follows the French uh, Appalachian classification.
0: For such a small country, that is a very intense system (laughs) it is crazy it's a federal country yeah so
1: like they really leave it down to the cantons to decide Hmm. how their appellation system should be coordinated yeah so obviously some are like well we're gonna go next level and make this impossible for anyone else to understand and and then there's others who are like okay we'll keep it simple one canton one appellation that's it um but yeah it's very diverse however there's five key regions where they're producing wine in the country, so Mm -hmm. in Switzerland itself. One of them is Wallis. It's uh, deep in the heart of the Alps. And then you have three more areas that are in the French-speaking part. Let me rewind for two seconds. So there's four language groups that are in Switzerland. One of them is the French-speaking regions. One is the Italian-speaking regions. Then you've got the German-speaking area, and you've got something that's in the middle. It's called Romance. Okay. So it's like a hybrid kind of, it's a hybrid language, basically. It's a mix of um, Italian, a little bit of German, and French as well. Hmm. There's about, correct me, Thomas, if I'm wrong, but it's like 200,000 people who speak Romance. Perhaps. Yeah. Today but it's one of the four that's official cool. languages. Yeah. So English is not one of them, by the way. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, everybody speaks English. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, that's the common lake, yeah. yeah. No, it's crazy, and... That's how we talk to each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, the French aren't also speaking German, the German aren't also speaking Italian, everybody speaks English. English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: except if you're actually Swiss, because they all speak all Yeah, they also all the languages, all the and countries. then you yeah. as a foreigner coming in, you're like, okay. I might speak one other language and yeah. that's the max. Now. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they have a winemaking tradition that goes back for a very long time, but it was, it was much more known as a table drinking wine. This yeah. is something to accompany your primary st- uh, you know, Swiss food, which is, which is cheese based. So yeah. raclette fondue, yeah. um, great selection of meats, but that's really what people know of Swiss food. And that's, Kind of how the wine history also came to play. It wasn't something that was very overly hyped,
0: mm-hmm. nor did
1: it have, um, let's say, the best recognition in terms of quality. Uh, but over the past, let's call it 15, 20 years, things have really changed. Um, the cantons have really taken a lot of pride in their production because it's something that they've realized is all, super unique, um, what you're getting in terms of. The soil, the like the um, the area above ground, um, your access to this whole microclimate that's happening within the Alps. This really is a product that stands on its own, and mm-hmm. they've done a, I think an amazing job to bring up that um, that area is almost a knowledge center for creating wine at a high elevation. So what you get a lot of times in in Swiss wines that are almost the common link is high acidity. Um, lower tannin but you've got something that has a lot of a um, lot of the soil tastes are coming into the wine as well that that whole biodiversity mm-hmm. and i think that has really paved the way to create a strong natural wine or biodynamic production mm-hmm. um, this canton that i was talking about where they have the the, the majority of the production coming from valde's yeah. in the center of the Alps, um, they are they have a long-term plan to move a lot of the production to biodynamic. Super So, yeah, so the Canton is also helping to finance this for farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking about a region where it's some of the world's highest elevated mountains, yeah. and you've got little tiny productions for, for vineyards. These are usually between two to five hectares this is not something where you're making millions as a wine producer, like yeah. you're doing this to, A, if I'll continue the tradition of making mm-hmm. wine, um, but B, also to make sure that this region continues to be, to grow and to become recognized as a wine, yeah. wine center. Totally. And I think if you give it enough time, like maybe in the next 10, 15 years, you'll see it positioned on the market, almost like the way Bergenland is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential happening there. One of the challenges, though, and I think this is also something that winemakers recognize within Switzerland, the minimum wage is very high. The franc is um, yeah. it's, it's a bit on a different scale, and that is also one of the, the main reasons why export of Swiss wine is so difficult. Yeah. Um, minimum wage is around 25 Swiss francs, um, and that is around 32, 33 Canadian dollars yeah. per hour.
0: As everybody listening to this cringes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh,
1: and then five weeks of paid holiday as well. Which they're probably cringing more about. They're like, I'll take the 15 <laughs> bucks an hour if I get
0: five weeks of paid vacation.
1: Yeah, uh, totally. But like, wait,
0: you get both? <laughs> you get
1: both. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is the great thing working. Um, like you have that kind of protection when you're employed. Yeah. But to take a, you know, take on advent, an, sorry a venture and become a winemaker and have that kind of risk with, as you said, a, like a massive uncertainty as to your vintage. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many external factors, and climate is changing. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, what that means in terms of what you can yield out of your, out of your crop is a massive uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really that's why I think it's such an art form.
0: Yeah, mm. no, I agree. I think uh again we were talking earlier about like the biggest factors being like frost and hail over the last couple of years and just how detrimental those have been obviously like places like burgundy and champagne get all the limelight but like realistically as like a percentage of crop lost uh i think switzerland absolutely lost way more crop uh again just because of the mountains and, and you know we're obviously familiar with mountains and what they do from a hail perspective you look at places like argentina Uh, that are like notorious for like some of the gnarliest hail in the world so you know a place like Switzerland Mm. obviously being affected pretty
1: greatly absolutely and like there's more and more vineyards that are limiting their production they're selling off land um Mm -hmm. I mean this is I think one of the massive effects long term it's you're going to see much smaller productions but maybe some that can be marketed in a very different way it becomes a very specialty novelty item and maybe that's the potential. So I I don't know. I'm just looking at it from a yeah. more marketing positioning.
2: No, but totally and philosophically like, you know, the the thing that I think what helps us in terms of natural wine is if you if you're a super established wine region and you've done things for hundreds of years. I mean, yes, there is a long it's a long history of of winemaking in Switzerland but it's never had the recognition obviously of mm. like Burgundy or or similar. So you know, the younger generation that may take over family businesses are, it's much easier for them to change because they are not destroying like a family history or something, you know, yeah. like they, uh, people are much, are quite open to so like, okay, let's change because um, yeah. we can and it, it yeah. will just be the next generation. And, and therefore, I think in terms of natural wine, also Zurich has... In Europe, a pretty good position because people are quite open to it. I would say generally in the in the urban spaces, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, just because our local wines so far, like you know, what's coming out now is like in the nick of time, so people really want to try it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, did you grow up drinking wine? Like, is is that you know something that we definitely did. Yeah. Um,
2: but it was very Italian. Mm. Or French influenced yeah. mostly, and um, therefore, um, also I mean I guess on a certain level, but uh, also quite traditional. And uh, I remember when I did uh, hotel management school in Switzerland, we had a we had to study inology uh, really uh, in depth, but mm-hmm. it was very very classical yeah. training. Totally. and there was no room for. Uh, for anything new, and then it would be like, okay, now we have one day left, and now we're going to talk about everything
0: else. Yeah, uh, you, yeah, you, you know what I mean? And yeah, like, we're we're... California, New Zealand, South Africa, all in one day. Exactly, but <laughs> yeah. it was two weeks of Macon Yeah, exactly. You, you know, yeah. so like, like that's
2: that's basically that was the understanding in the nineties yeah. and two thousands. Was like there is a couple of regions they know how it works, and they yeah. always knew, and they will always know. And that's
0: yeah, but it's not like here where you can like. You know you can go 30 years of your life without ever having a glass of wine and nobody will think that's weird there is it very much like you drink wine with your family like you have a yes. glass of wine with dinner like that kind of like it's it's you know so most people do that
2: exactly i would say that's that's the main um link you get to wine is yeah. is true family dinners yeah. with family that's that's very drinky I'd, I'd say the typical obviously like the curve is usually when you're a bit younger you tend to drink maybe beer you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever um, uh, you know in different circumstances but there is always that like thing that for like nice evenings or nice dinners it's kind of understood you you will you will drink wine mm-hmm. and um, I think it has uh, broadened as well like people drink more wine now than I would say like 10 years ago and it's just because mm-hmm. of the new the new way you produce stuff it's become much more, um, accessible to people, more fun to drink, yeah. and uh, especially barriers have been removed, and and they exist, I think, everywhere in the world. Um, yeah, in Europe as well. You you don't want to look stupid in a restaurant, so you just say like, oh, well, I just order something safe rather yeah. than exposing myself or not knowing. Yeah, which no, no. yeah. is a shame.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh yeah, like we were talking about with lunch, like it's, it's all about sort of empowering the diner to drink something that they want to drink, not something that they're familiar with necessarily. Uh, you know, one of the tools that I always use and, and whenever I do staff training, I always say this is like when somebody comes up to you and says like, hey, yeah, cool, like just looking for a glass of Malbec, what they're not asking for is a glass of Malbec. They want something that gives them the flavors of Malbec. Mm-hmm. It's not that they want Malbec. They want you know a you know medium to full-bodied red wine with dark fruit characteristics, maybe some florality, you know soft tannins, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they're asking for. They're not asking for Malbec. Uh, They're just like, this is something that checks those boxes. And so you can easily not say no to them, but still give them the thing they want. You're like, oh, cool. You like Malbec? That's fantastic. I have a wine you're absolutely going to love. And then you've not said, no, I'm not going to pour you a Malbec. You're saying, hey, like, here's this thing that you're really going to enjoy. And they're immediately like, I'm excited about this, not I'm nervous about this. Uh, I'm nervous about this person, like, not giving me what I want or, like, having said no to me. And so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, introducing people to those flavors and into these new experiences is definitely, you know, you got to hold their hand a little bit. You got to kind of walk them through slowly. But I do think in in a culture that drinks wine regularly, at least they have that barrier of entry like covered. They've at least had a glass of wine before. Uh, versus, you know, a lot of the places that we pour wine for, uh, we're like, hey, we're doing a wine pop up tonight, and they're like, oh no no, I like I only drink cocktails. You only mm-hmm. drink cocktails because you've tried all the wines in the world and you hate them all, or because you're just like uncomfortable with this idea that wine is this like special thing. Like North Americans really put wine up on a pedestal versus I think Europeans, again, in a general sense are more familiar with it from like literally a a familiar perspective, like from family dinners, from, you know, growing up sort of in, in places that grow wine, et cetera. Um, So anyways, that's, that's my, my rant on, introducing people to wine
1: I think that's such a valuable point Mm -hmm. though because like what it really comes down to it's about community right Mm -hmm. and you take that time to have that special moment with the people that you want to be with and how do you celebrate that um my parents for example they were not wine drinkers whatsoever Mm -hmm. I mean I come from a very I'm East Indian by the way but I come from (laughs) a quite a traditional East Indian background and for the first time, now that I really started to, you know, show my passion for wine, I think it it kind of it took down that barrier for them, and now they've become much more open to trying. So I think just seeing as well people around you that are experiencing it, it really adds a lot to, or it takes away that barrier. Let's say.
0: Totally. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, this is something that we've talked a lot about on the on the podcast before, but this idea of like sort of. Um, like decentralizing like flavors, um, the idea that like the current lexicon for a ways of describing wines and then which flavors are deemed acceptable for wines to taste like are very eurocentric. They're very mm-hmm. Western European. They're very North American. And so that perspective, like introducing your parents to wines, uh, is it like a particular flavor profile that they tend towards or? You know, something that's like maybe informed by culture, because that's one of the things that we found is like, you know, me going over to places like Japan, the style of wines that they like really aligned with the food culture. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, hey, we grew up eating a lot more fermented foods, eating a lot of things like, you know, fermented fish. And so some of the flavors that are in natural wines are like not weird to them. But for North Americans growing up eating Twinkies and Pop-Tarts, you know, (laughs) anything that's like not confected is like, ugh, that's a weird flavor, like an earthy flavor. So have you found that like with your sharing wine with your family is that there's, you know?
1: Yeah, so like I grew up eating curry seven days a week. So like super traditional household. And I mean, with that, you don't drink, wine, obviously. Um, if there's an alcohol, it's usually whiskey. Mm. There's a, a huge whiskey drinking kind of background to pairing it with your curry. Interesting. But in general, people don't usually drink alcohol. I yeah. mean, it's like a very religious community as well. So this is mostly for like family functions or you mm. know, you're killing back a bottle of whiskey <laughs> with yeah. the fam, maybe okay. hidden sometimes. But... Um, wine is a massive <laughs> barrier to it. And I yeah. think this is something where it's not there yet. It's not going to be there in the next 10 years either. Indian yep. food and wine. Yeah. Um, I think this is really going to take breaking that barrier into, yeah, introducing maybe a new immigrant population to wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the solution on how to do that, but I feel like if anything... Um, having people around you explain it to you, as you said before. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. When you don't know about a product, it's impossible to navigate it. And wine is such a massive world. I think taking away that fear could be. One, one very
2: markets. easy uh, way was we, uh, we, uh, we ran a, a more fine dining uh, restaurant. Um, and there, uh, Catania had a wine list where, um, because he created that one, and he was, he was, it was, not like after wine types, it was after flavors. Yeah. And it was much more geared towards what do you feel like what do you like and it doesn't matter what that may be and then once you know that we will we will be able to figure it out what you should drink Mm -hmm. and I really love that approach and I think a lot of people really like that because it's hard to say like you need to know a lot to be able to say like okay yeah I feel like this and therefore I know it's going to be this grape and maybe this vintage or whatever it may be you know however specific you want to go so like that was something that made it so much easier
0: totally yeah we talked about like uh, it's kind of like the guess who approach to uh, choosing a wine for somebody where it's like how many options can you eliminate with one single question we're like cool are you looking for red or white and you're like uh, white, cool. You knock down, like, half the faces right off the bat, and then you're like, cool, you're looking for something, like, maybe fuller-bodied or something, like, really light and fresh, and they are like, oh, maybe something light and fresh, and you're like, cool, knock down h- half the other wines, and, like, within three or four questions, you can narrow it down to, you know, on any given wine list, even if you have a thousand-bottle wine list or whatever, you can narrow it down to, like, th- like 30 wines right off of there, and then you just choose one. Like, you're just like, cool, I think you should try this, and they're like, absolutely, uh, and so it's just, you know, just a handful of like really thoughtful questions that really narrow it down. Uh, you know, I think that's a really good way of, you know, like you, you don't need them to, that way they don't need any information going into mm-hmm. it. Like, it's just, how do you feel? Like that's, that's totally. all, that's the only information you need from them. It's just like, that, like, yeah. how do you
1: feel? <laughs> That's my favorite approach to recommending a wine. Because I feel like you can get so stiff with it. Mm-hmm. And it really becomes a point of, let me show you how much knowledge I have about wine and, and overwhelm you with my yeah. intenseness. And that for me is just, it's, it, it really, it, it takes away a lot of what wine is supposed to be. But when you take it from the approach that you were mentioning, like take it as just understand the person I mean, having that kind of trust in somebody, you need to be open to it. So hopefully your guest is on that level to say, yes, I'm willing to just go with it and be a bit more explorative. But yeah, that's the approach that I found has worked the most with, Mm -hmm. especially my family members, Mm -hmm. to just be like, what do you, you know, knowing what they like and then being able to work within that and not overwhelm them with taking a bottle to start. Yeah,
2: Yeah, exactly yeah always helps to to look at it from the position of the guest and like I think you know gastro people or maybe wine people too tend to think like oh you must have thought about this moment for so long, because I, ha- I certainly have, right? Like, that's yeah. my life. But for many people, it's like, well, I came here because it's my friend's birthday, or yeah. whatever yeah. have you. Totally. It has uh, nothing to do with you. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and and maybe they, they love your food, but they're like, yeah, and then you're like, do you know what you want to drink? Uh, no. I haven't thought about this yet. Yeah. Yeah. So basically to to think about it from that point if you make it easy for them to understand or to, to find out what you actually feel like will make yeah. for a much better experience. Totally. Yeah.
1: Like no. we have team members, like staff members who have never had experience selling wine. Like mm-hmm. we've really, we take a lot of time to do trainings, but I think one of the biggest success factors is when you can pick up a story about a wine because then it doesn't matter how much in-depth knowledge you have about the vinification process. Totally. It's what you can hold on to that is more of a sentimental value yeah. and that's I think if for anybody who's new to the wine topic like that is a place to start just learn something about the bottle you've got in your hand.
0: Absolutely. Start from there. Yeah, it's easier to start with that emotional attachment because you don't need any prior information uh you know, you don't need to know why a grape variety is the way it is. You don't need to know anything about farming. You don't need to know about pH and volatile acidity. And like, you don't need to know about any of those things in order to enjoy a wine and have an emotional connection to it for sure. Um,
1: Until you have that 1% of the guest who's like, who um, wants, who that. knows everything about wine and then wants to totally. upsell you or upshow you. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And it's like, that stuff can be powerful too. Cause like sometimes I find that stuff really interesting where i'm like wow this is the lowest ph wine i've ever had like something like that where i'm like that's super unique like it's like it's crazy that you were able to accomplish this and then that becomes like a weird sort of emotional connection to me because i'm like this is such a an oddity uh so it's like i do think knowing those things allows you to have those emotional connections on a deeper level but they're not like necessary to that first interaction with with wine
1: absolutely so
0: Uh, Cool. I'm going to talk about the last wine, which we don't have in front of us. We're recording this like a solid three weeks ahead of schedule, which uh, for me is literally three weeks earlier than I would normally (laughs) record this podcast. I am a last minute kind of person. Um, So we're going to talk about the last wine, even though we don't have it in front of us. And then, yeah, we'll have some like closing thoughts and, you know, we'll figure all that stuff out as we go. Obviously unscripted. Um, So the last wine that we're putting in this wine club uh, is from Japan uh this month is really wacky in the sense that we have wine from slovakia and japan in the same month uh you know i think over the course of the last year uh we've obviously featured a lot of wines from austria a lot of wines from france a lot of wines from the us uh, a lot of wines from canada uh, places that our portfolio focuses heavily on but again we we do get the rare occasional wines from other places in the world um this one is coming from uh Yamagata, uh prefecture um, this is kind of like a weird story but essentially I worked uh, a vintage in New Zealand at uh, Kendelli and one of the guys that I worked with, uh, Haru uh, was from Japan at that point, I think he was working in a restaurant um, but he ended up working for uh, this this winery called Great Republic uh, in Japan and um, the consultant for Great Republic was the guy that I was working for in New Zealand uh, and so you know a couple years later you know we had fallen in love with the wines from Grape republic and uh, had tasted them on several occasions around the world and uh so you know mark was like actually more even more gung-ho than i was on this but he's like you should really just send Grape republic a message i would love to drink those wines uh you know i think that people would be really excited about drinking wine from japan and i was like okay i'm gonna i'll, tr- I'll see if i can get us an allocation. And I know the wines are really hard to get. Their production is really small. They're really sought after. I'm like, there's absolutely no chance... And uh, so I sent him an email, and who would respond except for Hadu, the guy that I worked with in New Zealand? And he's like, Eric, it's Haru. Like, we haven't talked in a couple of years. Like, do you remember me? Uh, and I so I sent him a picture of him that I had taken during Harvest, and I was like, of course I remember you. Like, this is so funny. Like, this is so crazy. And uh, so basically, through that, we were able to get an allocation. Uh, it's about as serendipitous as anything can possibly be. Um, what makes them really interesting is they work almost exclusively with hybrid grape varieties. They do have a couple, uh, you know, just like straight up grape varieties, but most of them are uh, are hybrids. So in this case, this is a blend of uh, Steuben uh, as well as Niagara. Um, I feel like there's a handful of other grapes in there too maybe a little Delaware um, but it's mostly stupid in ni- Niagara uh, both are fermented on the skins from like six to eight days they're trying to make something that's very bright very fresh uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with um, with hybrid grape varieties you're going to be kind of blown away by this it tastes different than any other wine you've had you've had wines almost exclusively made from vitis vinifera so the uh, the variety that is indigenous to most of Europe, uh, and then parts of Asia as well too. Um, but all of these kind of have like a similar genetic background. So they all kind of taste, you know, within the same realm, they're all familiar as wine versus once you taste wine made from hybrid grape varieties. So the hybrid being part Vitis vinifera and then part one of the, you know, handful of different varieties, uh, that exist in, uh, in north america essentially you know you cross those two grape varieties together you end up with something different these are going to be entirely new flavors so uh you know i i ask that you have patience with yourself uh going into this i think that it's easy to smell or taste something that you've never had before i always use the example of like the first time i had coffee the first time i had blue cheese the first time that i had soy sauce the first time that i had fish sauce these were all terrifying flavors to me and the first time i had them i was like i don't know if i like this i don't know what's up my mouth is confused uh it's gonna be the same thing with hybrid grape varieties for a significant amount of the population where you're going to be like i don't know what to think about this because it's an entirely new flavor experience that i was expecting one thing and i got a different thing so i'd say you know just be patient with yourself give yourself a glass over the course of an hour uh to sort of introduce yourself to brand new flavors uh, they tend to be quite fruity, uh, at least from grape republic. So, uh, really exuberant, almost candied fruit characteristics, but then with no sweetness on the palate. So even though it'll smell like it's gonna be sweet, it's gonna be bone dry, bright, fresh acidity. Uh, only ten and a half percent alcohol, which is rockin' for a, you know a, a red wine. Uh, You don't see a lot of reds at 10.5%, so it's kind of nice to see something like that, and it'll go down dangerously easy. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's going to be super fun to include this in the wine club. Um, We got eight cases of this this year, so, again, not a lot to go around. Uh, Most of it going to wine club, but uh, some of it will hit the shelf. So if you do fall in love with this, it will be available for purchase. Um, And if you want to try more wines from Japan, we, we got, like... One pallet from them, that's it. But we got like 12 different wines. Uh, so a lot of wines, not a lot of any of those wines. So it'll be a good opportunity to taste a bunch of different things over a very short period of time. Um, that was my getting off topic. Have either of you ever had wine from Japan before?
1: Actually, it's funny. When you first brought Great Republic onto your portfolio, yeah. um, one of my really good friends who's from Tokyo, mm-hmm. who lives in Zurich, was going back home. So I was like, look, I need to try this. I feel like this is really like, it's sick branding AFL, but it's a mm-hmm. really cool backstory. Um, so she drove up with her partner and secured like the last bottle of, it was, um, it was a hybrid variety. What was the, I think it was the, the Niagara, like the Niagara yeah, Niagara, exactly. Totally. And that was um, the last she brought and we had a restaurant opening in yeah. Zurich. She gave me that as a present, and that was a really pinnacle moment because we opened it, and that was... Oh, wow. ...while well, we celebrated. With, Holy... Yeah, Great Republic. Cool. Well, now I'm may. extra sad that I didn't have a bottle to open for <laughs> you. <Yeah. either. laughs> now I really like you down.
0: This is, this is twice in a row. Yeah, we've had a bunch of last-minute podcasts, so I haven't been able to acquire all the wines for the, for the previous couple either. I'm like, dang, I really need to do a better job of tracking down our own bottles of wine. <laughs> this is how rare our wines are, is that even yeah. we can't get them. Uh, so it's, you know, but it's a fun fun opportunity
1: they're definitely not in our local market so it's impressive totally. that you're able to yeah to put that together we
0: feel very lucky yeah. we've had a bunch of importers from across canada being like oh like can you get us an allocation of great republic and i was like i barely get an allocation of great republic i don't think i can help you frankly Oh my goodness. Uh, so yeah we feel bad that we can't share the love but at the same time we are just very happy that we actually get some Uh, It's one of those producers where it's like in Alberta, like nobody really cares, but a lot of the wines end up getting shipped across Canada uh, because people in Toronto and people in Vancouver and people like all over the world are like desperate for these wines. And so even though they'll just like sit on the shelf for months in in Alberta, uh, you know, people will go wild for them in in other markets. And so some people uh, end up kind of under the table shipping them shipping them around. Uh, not us, obviously dear, uh, AGLC, uh, person who is listening to on uh, <laughs> minute 60, uh, of our, of our podcast, you know, if you made it this far, AGLC person, you know, you, you deserve an award for uh, most upstanding, uh, you know, alcohol citizen. I don't know what to call it. work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. Okay. Digressing here. Um, so obviously, if any of our people ever come to Zurich, they should obviously frequent all of your restaurants. Um, other than that, like what's what's the what's the scene in, in Zurich like? Like what's the what's the vibe? What are the good things to do while while people are there? I hate to make you tour guides out of nowhere. But, oh, it's all uh, good. I mean, yeah. AFAL
1: totally look us up. We'd love to meet and talk wine, talk food, talk social. I mean, uh, it's a really going out kind of. Vibe, Mm -hmm. Um, there's something to do every night of the week, um, but people really blend that, like having the nature and having the city into one. Like you may, I don't know, you may be on the water, we're right at the lake, so you're on the water during the day, and then you're hitting like the the brew pubs or like outdoor beer gardens during the evening, and then you go for a pretty badass meal at the end, and then you end up at a club until totally Done European club culture that's, that's a real thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah 48 it's, hours oh my yeah. god <laughs> dangerous game we do less of that these that's days true. but yeah. yeah I mean, once, less. once in a while yeah <laughs> back to nice.
0: the roost totally yeah. no that's fantastic um cool yeah I'm trying to think about any closing close, closing thoughts that we should have um I don't know what do you think anything else that we need to talk about anything that's uh essential to share with the
1: people? I mean, for me, I think that's that's basically it, yeah. Nice.
2: Yeah. We, we loved our six or seven hours in,
0: in uh, Calgary,
1: Oh, Alberta. did we ever. <laughs> this is well, such a did,
2: treat. did the restaurant is called? Can, can we say that here? Or
0: is that oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We went to a park by Sidewalk Citizen. And uh, yeah, in, in Central Memorial Park. Uh, yeah, great lunch. restaurant. Right. Yeah, yeah, super good lunch. Okay. So, yeah great little wine list curated by uh thomas from missy's so if you're uh, you know on the hunt for a good bottle of wine it's not only delicious food but also you know really well curated well-priced wine list too like almost everything's like sub hundred bucks for like really good bottles of wine um yeah a lot of stuff in like sort of the 60 70 dollar range so it's really, really good lunch bottles so yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: Absolutely. I, I think I do have a closing argument. I, I was just gonna closing, a closing argument. argument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is the Johnny Depp yeah. trial. Um, yeah, totally. No. Dun, dun, I, like, did you step on a bee? <laughs> I stepped on a beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I, I think it's like I'm I'm really uh super honored to be a part of today. I feel like you guys have created something really cool and it's we had this little short layover and it's amazing to yeah. to meet you guys in person. We've been Following you throughout the pandemic, and yeah, I think yeah,
2: absolutely. You guys have yeah. us through the pandemic, so thank you yeah. so much for having us and sharing this absolutely. lunch yeah. and uh, wine with us. Yeah, no, no,
0: thank you for agreeing. Uh, for those of you who, who, you know, haven't seen our text chain, it was essentially you're like, hey, we have a you know a couple hour layover in Alberta in in Calgary. Uh, you know, do you want to go for a glass of wine? Uh, and I was like, do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, very graciously, um, you know, you both agreed to, uh, to come hang out. And so, uh, it was great, uh, you know, going for lunch and, and then getting to have this conversation to solidify some of the things that we had in our conversation earlier and, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about you. It's fun to make international friends as well, too. I feel like, Absolutely. uh, you know, people are always like, oh, who are you going to hang out with this week. And I was like, well... All my friends live in other countries. Uh, So it's, uh, you know, we're continuing that trend by, you know, making these international olive branches, I suppose. Totally.
1: And the world is small. So you will find yourself one day in Switzerland and you got to come look us up. Now I got to come.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We'll
1: have a lot of Swiss wine to drink.
0: For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Well, that's the end of the podcast for today. Uh, If anybody has any further questions about the wines, uh, you can refer to uh, our newsletter or send me an email. My email address is Eric e-r-i-k at JuiceImports.com. or you can send us a message on instagram uh i'll also include uh y'all's instagram on uh in our newsletter so that everybody can find you um as well as all the restaurants uh you know you're gonna have a busy time uh whenever you go over to zurich so uh yeah thank you so much for being here thanks everybody for listening we'll chat with you next month